Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got nards. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're all gonna laugh at you. Hey, everybody. What's up? Beep, beep. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of Jersey Ghouls. Guys, tonight, this one has been a long time coming. This is something we've been working really, really hard on for the last few weeks. We're going to be talking about Stephen King's It. We're going to cover the book. We're going to touch the miniseries. We're going to discuss the upcoming movie. We're discussing themes and concepts, likes and dislikes, and goddamn Tim Curry. We have all reread the book. We just watched the miniseries. We are hopped up on sugar and we are ready to do this. So let's get this ball rolling because we are pumped up like a balloon full of helium. So float on down to the sewers with us tonight as we talk about Stephen King's It. We would like to welcome back our guest ghoul, James. Thank you again for joining us tonight. Thank you for another giving me another shot yeah. at a trial run. I get, what, three strikes? <laughs> three strikes and you're out. So. One strike, I sit on my hands. Two strikes, I sit across the room and shout. Three, I have to leave, right? Yeah, you're out. You're totally out after That's that. right. And, you know, I have to give you props, though, because if there's ever an episode where there was a lot of work to be done to be in on this episode is this one. So well done, man. Thanks I for reading what? a giant book. I, I felt like I got a book report this summer. You did. And yeah, I had this, this was our summer reading. Yep, it totally was. And yeah, we did. We slaved over the book, all of us together, and then we also endured, dare I say, the miniseries. I'll say it. <laughs> I know you will. Many of us wanted to quit, but Jackie, our leader, made us persevere and that's right. suffer for another hour and a half. That's right. She's the big bill of and the that's group. Why the big kept, bill? I don't that's know, why I you? kept I looking at you every time. Yeah, it I wasn't because you made it. It's because you made me watch it. And I'm like, beep, beep, Jackie. Really? <laughs> beep, you, beep. You forced us into that sewer. So how we're going to do it, folks, is that we are going to start off by giving you just an overview of the book itself, and then we're going to talk about some of the bigger, badder, more important things. Nate is chomping at the bit to tell you all his super deep thoughts that he's had. James has a bunch of scribbles, as always, on his notes there. Jackie's <laughs> Googling her... Uh, what's going on over there? Uh, show notes. Oh, sorry. Jackie's reviewing her notes. Stop pulling the curtain back. <laughs> I know. There's fourth no wall. man behind the curtain. Stop it. Stop breaking the fourth wall. I know. <laughs> so let's dive into Jackie's synopsis. Well, you know what? I, I'm, I hate to disappoint our fans, but because we have so much to talk about and because the general plot of the book and the movie are very similar. I'm just going to throw out this. In 1958, seven kids are brought together to defeat an ancient evil. When they fail, they return on a promise 27 years later to kill the monster once and for all. That's it? That's it. Because... You didn't drop the microphone. Wow. Dang, that was the most coherent and amazing. I know. It was like two lines. It was absolutely yeah, because nothing it, like yeah. any other Jackie synopsis. Oh, what, like, what, was it the tacos? That, I think it might have been the ta I think, tacos. I think feeding me tacos. Well, right now, the, the circle is complete, so she joined the power. Oh, from, I see. From yeah. the turtle. Yeah. The we're, turtle. we're all here. We've got yep. the power. Yeah. I no. didn't remember, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, we don't want to sit there and rehash some of the same stuff over and over again. No. There is so much to talk about in this episode. We have, again, we're going to break the fourth wall. We have so many notes on this, and all four of us have our own notes, our own opinions, and 
we're just going to dive right into it. And I got to tell you, I, I'm going to be amazed if we all stay friends after the next what? couple hours. That's how intense I have listen. a feeling. Me thinks Ooh. things are going to get listen, legit. Yeah. It taught me anything. It doesn't matter how much you hate one of your friends or how much he annoys you. He's you still love him. So I think we should start off by hashing out very quickly the difference between the book and the miniseries, if that's okay. Um, since Th- Jackie flew through that synopsis. Yeah, there were a couple. Yeah, there, yeah here um, and there. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest difference between the book and the movie was everything. Everything. Uh, well, no, they got some of the character names right. No, and they did take some <laughs> scenes directly out, but only like parts of scenes or like truncated versions I'm, of scenes i'm gonna i'm gonna defend I'm devil's advocate i'm gonna defend the movie and say this it was originally supposed to be a four-part eight-hour series it got chopped down to i think like a six-hour series and eventually due to uh what is it abc is the tv sh- or the uh abc is the network that ABC. produced yeah i think it yeah. was Basically, between their time restraints, their restriction, and what was left with the script, it ended up being a three-hour, two-night event. And you are taking this massive, King's second longest book, and condensing it into three hours. Wow. So, I think that the, the like right out the gate, there was no way that this couldn't fail because of that. But that's... That's the great and the terrible thing about Stephen King adaptations. He doesn't really turn away a lot of people that want to do an adaptation of one of his stories. It doesn't seem like he takes, like, he doesn't really step in and try and tell them what to do. He just waits until it's been made, and then he's like, I like this, or I don't like this. I I think with the miniseries, like, I mean, CGI wasn't really prevalent back then, and I think that hindered a lot that's a good call because a lot of the stuff in the book there's really no way they could have presented on tv without having massive budgets for special effects i feel like that's giving them too much of a pass like seeing horror movies from like the 70s and stuff that had zero budget that had amazing looking effects it was a different time though, dude. like now they're like in in the early 90s they're they're using cgi you can't really get away with comparing it to the 70s yeah i know but i feel like they took the cheap way out instead of actually like trying to come up with creative solutions to some of these issues like nah, they... if i can play devil's advocate to, to your devil's why advocate why does everyone want to stand to up for this devil's... terrible mini no i'm not standing up for it but what i am saying is that like at that time using that kind of cgi on tv was cool well any kind yeah. of computer generated graphics at that time was right. cool it was like like they redid all the star wars movies just to have stupid computer generated graphics in it when like the the miniatures looked way better like, I, I just think just... That, that the to do the practical effects justice in that if the budget would have just been way too much. Yeah, for I and, disagree. And we're still, and we're still three years off from like Jurassic Park level. Yeah, I disagree. Yeah. I know. feel like they just CGI. chose the wrong things and they and they did them in the wrong ways. There's lots of things that were done wrong with this miniseries. I think, oh, agree. I think their heart was in the right place, but the the people like the actual people making things happen didn't really give a shit because they kept getting told no, 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 no until they're cut down to a two-hour miniseries. And at that point, they're just like, let's just get this thing done. Just use everything. And get our paycheck. Script. Um, I'm probably going to be the only one to say it, but I've always liked the miniseries. This is something that I've watched. I mean, what we were watching tonight was my copy. I just, this is one of those movies that like randomly, I'm like, eh, what do I want to watch? Every couple months, I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch it. And knowing that we were doing this, I held off watching it because I knew we were going to watch it together. Plus, I had to read the book. And then I read the book. And when we sat down to watch it tonight, it was painful to watch for me. For the, so, because I just am fresh ugh. off the book, it actually became it stings. really painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. With just, I mean, it's, it's like saying to somebody, okay, you're going to do a book report on Stephen King's It. Um, you are limited to 300 words. Go. Like, it was so condensed. And I agree with something that you had said, Nate. Like, they picked the wrong subplots to explore. In the little time they had, they, they absolutely picked the wrong subplots. The whole second half of the book has some really, really interesting concepts and goes to these deep 
themes and meanings and there's this feeling that you get when you read it because you know what they're saying and expressing through everything they do and it is completely absent from the movie itself i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna throw a gauntlet down and i don't know if i'm right or wrong but i'm gonna throw this down i don't think that you can put that book on screen and have it be what it is in in writing and i think you're both going to be while it's going to be awesome and we're all going to be nuts about how good the new one is it's not going to be that book no absolutely and, not and right. i think that there's Agreed. so much about king's writing that is built on elaborating all these nuanced things in writing that if you actually had to just sit through in a movie you'd be bored out of your mind yeah, but yeah, because but, then at, at that point you're sitting there watching like, oh, that that's part of the book. Now that's part of the exactly. book. Exactly. You know what's coming. If they change it up, keep you guessing a little bit, as long and, as it keeps. And they're not making the new it for us. They're they're making it to make five million dollars or whatever out of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. That, so <laughs> when they cut and mangle it, which I think they're going to do, and I get that this is a love song to the book and to King and everything, and that it's going to rock. I'm not saying it's not, but I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna argue that so much of what he does in the book, n not even isn't just not translatable, but may not even be that necessary. The I, I'm gonna say <coughs> that the the redeeming quality of this miniseries the reason i think that anybody remotely has any sort of nostalgic want for this movie the reason anybody even remembers this movie is tim carr's performance 100 percent. his performance of pennywise the clown has just scarred so many of us I, I think that's one of the reasons why I can't stand clowns is him and killer clowns from outer space but uh -huh. yeah his i think i think his his performance is why this has stood any sort of test of time. Absolutely. And and for anyone who grew up in that time, Pennywise, like the, that clown image, imagery was so pervasive and, in everything we thought. And, and also with the new movie coming out, I think that's one of the big hurdles is how is this Pennywise going to compare to Tim Curry? Right. And it's probably going to be better for yeah. true fans. You know what I mean? Like it's probably going to be so much more realistic and, he, and he like the book terrifying he, he looks does. way scarier and he's got that, he's got that creepy laugh down pat mm -hmm. i don't know i i sent some of you guys there's a clip floating around on the internets of the whole georgie gets his arm ripped off scene at the very beginning and like just seeing that has made me so hopeful for this new movie yeah because like there there's certain points where pennywise is just like forgets like where he is for a second, starts drooling at the thought of taking a bite into Georgie, and like that kind of like animal like craziness is not at all present in Tim Curry. Tim Tim Curry is more like a uh, Freddy Krueger than uh, what is actually portrayed in the book is some kind of like terrible, horrible monster. Like I never really got that the. I never really got the idea that like Pennywise was something to be terrified of, except for the few times when he reared his head back and he had like the teeth in. Like the rest of the time, he was just cracking jokes and kind of like popping out and saying "gonna get you," <laughs> and then disappearing for no, like not really doing anything. And the books, like he tries to kill them constantly. He's constantly like chasing after them. They go, they're going into Nybolt Street in the house. And he's, like, trying to kill them all the time. They have a real reason to be scared of this thing. At the same time, though, his whole thing, if he doesn't get them right away, that's fine. Because he's scaring them. And he's building the fear. And the more scared you are, the better that you taste. Right. He flat out, he flat out yeah. says at one point, it seasons the meat. Yeah, but is it excusable <laughs> for, like... Nine out of ten scenes in this miniseries being just like I'm being spooky, climbing out of your drains, you know, and not doing anything. Like, how many people does it actually show him attacking? There really, one. There really right? wasn't rhyme or reason for nine out of ten scenes of that whole miniseries at all. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think Tim Curry is a great character actor, and I think that he did a great job being a creepy clown, but I don't think it really showed any of the, the actual like scariness of the book and why like Pennywise is terrifying in the book to these children. I like, can't I can't help but think of the irony of the fact that we all are sitting here 
admittedly having been affected by this movie somehow as children. Yeah, as children. And now yeah. as adults sitting here and, and just like being cynical and criticizing it because at the end of the day, you're right. It doesn't stand up. It didn't wear well. It didn't weather, you know, like our nostalgia for it okay. and our belief in, cause like 11 year old me mm-hmm. was scared beyond reason of but that Pennywise. That, yeah. that is the strength. That is what this book is trying to talk about. The fact that when you're 11 years old, you right. can believe well, That's why I'm anything. saying it's ironic that we're sitting here trashing the miniseries Absolutely. now. Uh, because at the end of the day, I, I will defend my, my the 11-year-old in me comes out, and I think that Curry did an effective job as the Pennywise. <laughs> It is about what it's like to be a child, what it's like to be an adult, and the transition, and how when you're in one, it's hard to understand what it was like to be the other. And I think that the the focal point of that is Bev's character, as she's the one who drags them all into adulthood, since our since our talks about all of this, one of the things that just keeps lingering in my mind is like, what it all like? Why? What all these choices mean that I feel like I'm missing? Because why make Bev's skeevy sexual relationship with these kids at age eleven be the fo- the turning point? Which I like, if I'm getting you right, it it is right. It's what ushers them into adulthood, yes. which is important on more than one level, given the monster and given everything else. So, my whole question is like, is trying to figure out what it says about childhood versus adulthood. I mean, does it all hinge on sex? Is that what King is basically saying that sex is what changes us from children to adults? My instinct was to say no, and you're sexualizing it. But I mean, if we look at basic human nature, no, it is. It's sex because we. How you know women menstruate to you know it's all part of reproduction. <laughs> it's all because you guys ate a piece of fruit years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that I think that there's a lot of things that make you into more of an adult, and it's not just sex, but that's Bev's power. But that's what Bev can control at that moment. That's that's something she knows she can do to protect them at that moment to make them a little bit more adult and to take away some of that childish imagination and innocence. It's not necessarily the only thing that defines you as an adult sex, that is, but it's something that Bev knows she can use at that moment. I don't know, like, I mean, what is, what are other things like, um, death of family and like, uh, responsibility and, like, that sort of thing, I think that can also make you an adult. But, like, I mean, that's all, like, that's not something you can do, like, in one if, moment. It's, if it's, they all have sex in this one moment, like, that's that's a huge thing that Bev has direct control over. To me, that's a big part of the, the, the jump from childhood to adulthood. To me, it's it's so much more. And the, sex, the sexuality, unfortunately, is just such a big part of how we lose our innocence when we're young, I think. Like, I remember the first couple times sneaking movies I shouldn't have watched or, like, stuff like that. Like, once you lose that certain innocence, it's true. The thought that Bev is the one who has that, 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 that like, that's her only power bums me out, though. It's... It's. I don't think it's her only power, though. I think she has power. She has a totem like everyone else. Like um, Ed has his inhaler, and Bill has his um, speech therapy line. Like they all have totems of power. Hers is a slingshot. Oh, okay. They all have totems of power, but that's another thing that she has that nobody else has. I do want to agree with something that you said, Nate, about the what she can control. She's a child, so she has no say over where she lives. She has no say over her daily life because she's a kid. She's got to go to school every day. She's a kid, so she's got to do what mom says, do what dad says. She also has to essentially sit back and take the abuse of her father because what is she going to do? Rail against her father? He's bigger than her. He's stronger than her. And it would be a complete unknown to her to like fight back or run away because where is she going to go? What she can control is what she chooses to do with her body. And I agree with you that in that moment, 
that's I'm gonna say yeah vagina power because that is what she can control she can say yes this is how I'm gonna save you this is how we're gonna do it I'm gonna allow you to do it I'm gonna make it happen and so yeah I'm 100% on board with that because you're right there is very few things in your life when you are 11 year old that you have complete and total control over and 11 year old you like you had complete control like I just feel like at 11 I definitely did not have complete control over but like I don't I don't know I I I hear what you guys are saying I think it's a valid point but I just think there's 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 a little bit of like it's it gets stuck in my craw I'm not saying you guys aren't right I'm just saying that I don't like it I'm I'm not saying that 11 I had control like I had vagina power I'm glad I didn't have vagina power at 11 years old, but in the context of the story, I hear, yeah, I hear, yeah. that I to me it does make sense. I think the the trap that a lot of people fall into when they think about this scene is they are they're looking at these kids as normal kids, and they're not. They're superheroes that just happen to be 11 years old. They're not. They're like elevated. They're chosen by the gods. See, and I think the polar opposite, I think it hinges on them being normal kids who go through an un- ridiculously abnormal thing. I have trouble, like, thinking of them as normal kids when 99% of the book is not about them doing normal kid things. There are certain parts, there's, like, building the dam and exploring the woods and being like, oh, there's a tiger over there. Like, there's a, there's moments in the book when, when they're just normal kids, but most of the book, they are held captive by this otherworldly force that is trying to murder them and like that consumes their lives it's hard i think they started as normal kids maybe at some point but where it is you know how you were saying that on the other side of it is the turtle Mm -hmm. and i think things happened by the turtle's design by the other's design that made these kids special. You know, like, there's a reason why when Ben was running away from Henry in the beginning, he bumped into, you know, uh, Eddie and Bill. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think it's th- it's not that the kids are special. It's they were ordinary kids, and the turtle took notice because each kid got away from it the first time it ran into it. Um, and I think maybe that caught the turtle's attention and... Here's, that here, then gave them more power? Here's one thing that I think goes against that. At the beginning, when Georgie is going to get the wax, the paraffin wax from the basement, he notices the turtle wax, the tur- the, the, the shoe polish. And it's turtle, and he's like, turtle, turtle. And it, and it reverberates through his mind. So I think the turtle is always watching over these kids. I think the reason that they ascend and become more than just normal kids is because they have the power of imagination. Their their faith is stronger than their fear when they're put up against it. But I also think maybe that was like a red herring in the beginning of the book because Stan said the turtle can't help us, and then Georgie goes in the basement and sees the turtle wax. I think that was just a red herring to kind of keep everybody guessing like what the turtle is because they didn't really explain it until towards the end of the book what the turtle was a little bit to be said for that because i definitely spent a lot of the book because i didn't remember much from from when i was a kid thinking about the turtle and that it turned out the turtle had such a minimal like you know what i mean like i don't know i think it, I, I think there, there could be a little truth to that i think i think you both have validity to what you're saying i think it was just kind of like keep everybody kind of guessing as to what it is i know that there's other king books that like tie this stuff together and make you understand these concepts more like the turtle Right, and I haven't read them, so I feel like there's more there's more context there that I don't know. Going back to something Nate had said about having faith and having fear, and when you're a kid, I don't think you really have faith in things when you're a kid because you're told what to believe, and I don't know that our brains can really wrap around coming up with your own concepts like take religion is an example i can think of 
I was raised Catholic. I went to CCD from kindergarten to eighth grade. We went to church on Sundays. We went to church on the holidays and everything that comes along with Catholicism, you know, with Jesus and, the, you know, the, the dying and the moving the rock and rising from the grave and water to wine and everything. And I believed all of that. I had faith in all of that because all of the grownups in my life were telling me that that's the way it works. And then you get a little bit older and your brain starts to develop and you can learn your own concepts and come up with your own feelings and your own beliefs. And it might be different. You know, you may no longer believe in Catholicism and, you know, maybe you majored in biology and now your religion is science and you think the whole idea of religion is just complete and utter bullshit. So I think it's tough to have faith in something as a child because I don't know that children are capable of, I don't want to say of thinking outside the box because it doesn't have to do with creativity because children are more creative than anything. So I don't think it's creativity, but just the concept of something larger than themselves like that. But then you get older, or I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but then if you look at fear, kids are afraid of way more things than adults. And it's something, the reason why Pennywise is who he is is because like you are a child that's afraid of spiders so it is going to appear to you as a giant spider when you're an adult your fears are less tangible and your fears are more you know i i hope i have enough money in the bank account to pay the mortgage and my kids you know dentist bill yeah i mean and that's that's one of the things they, they reference in the book is that the, with the kids their fear is more primal because they have more imagination and it's it's an easier primal fear like the mummy well you're not going to get many adults that are going to be that terrified of a mummy and as you get older your fears become do you have enough money in the bank account will you make rent will you do you still have to job i think that's why they didn't defeat him fully as a child as children and they were able to do so as adults because they had less faith and more fear as children. And I'm not saying they didn't have fear as adults, but they had more faith and less fear as adults. I feel like the, the balance shifted. I'm not saying they weren't afraid as adults. They absolutely were. But I feel like their balance shifted from faith and fear to fear and faith. Here's the way I look at it. When you're a kid, your capacity to believe, because both faith and fear are both opposite sides of belief. I think when you're a kid, you have more capacity to believe things. You Everything is big. Everything is unknown to you. So you can believe literally anything that someone tells you. When you're an adult, you, you have all this outside information. You, know, you have more context for the world you live in. So like things like the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, the monster under the bed, they don't make as much sense because you're like, that's absurd. You know, and I honestly think the opposite of what you think. I think that they could have killed it much easier as kids. In fact, they say in the book, there are some things you can do when you're 11 years old that are very hard to do again. Also, the kid, you can't be careful on a skateboard, man. It's the same idea. Plus, I mean, it, it also seemed like uh, when they fought it and defeated it as adults, it seemed like they were working better as a team, as like as adults than they were as kids because as kids it seemed like they were just one-on-one -on -one, not really like a cohesive unit so to speak like bill was kind of interacting with it by himself but as adults it was bill and richie who did the mind link and they it there was it wasn't just one-on-one -on -one, it was now like two-on-one see that the the difference i get there is that even though your capacity for faith is greater when you're a kid, so is your capacity for fear. So when it shifts, it's a lot more devastating. So like when they have it on the ropes and it's falling back in the caves and, and all the spider the acidic spider web, spider web is in the ceilings, their capacity to be like, we're going to die, is a lot greater. When their adults are like, well, if we die, at least we're doing something noble. When you're a kid, you're like, no, like, we have to go. Do you, do you think it's something? But I think that when they fought they as fought adults, adults, 
I think that it wasn't easier. I think it was harder, and I, that's why that's why Bill had trouble. That's why the turtle was dead. God is dead when they're adults because they have that that knowledge. I mean, in the Bible, what ruins Adam and Eve is eating from the tree of knowledge and gaining that that worldly knowledge. Yeah. That that actually hurts them. It makes them less able to be amazing. You well, know. Do you, do you think it could also be that, like, as adults, if you have a strong faith that it's stronger as adults than it is when you're kids i yeah i i also think the nature of fear is the bigger issue here of whether or not fear like i don't think it's so much which one is more potent in childhood versus adulthood to me it's the nature of the fear which is kind of what jackie was saying like and and james too like yeah, when, when little Marissa is facing it, it could be a clown, it could be, you know, a vampire. Big Marissa, it's going to be a giant mortgage payment. Or it's going to be, like, you know, the health of my child. So it's going to have a lot harder of a time getting the fear, like, like oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, ta- becoming a tangible fear for me as an adult. But the level of my fear and the, 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 the level with which I will fight for myself to survive as an adult and the level to which I will be have faith is to me it's a more it's a different kind of faith and it's a different kind of fear so i think we're splitting hairs by trying to figure out which one is greater in which which section to me it's all about the type because what really like separates my fears and faiths isn't so much like how strong they are in any given moment because that i swear it changes with the weather for me Mm -hmm. but to me it's it's how how tangible they are and how much is worth fighting for for me so when they're little i i think it's easier when you're little to go running into a cave and fight a monster. Whereas I think as an adult, there's some inherently really problematic issues behind that. And I think, James, I think your idea that they had to get the power from elsewhere, from each other, from the town, from the turtle, from wherever the fuck they got it from, is what gave them that power as adults. I think, I mean, like, when you're kids, like, you only have, like, a couple of fears, but they're stronger. As an adult, you're a little more realistic, and you have smaller fears, but they're more numerous. So it's it's tough to kind of get it it to affect you the same way it did as kids. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. But like I said, like it's way harder for them as adults, but they also know how much more important it is as adults for them to do this, especially after seeing that, you know, like if they don't do it, it's going to keep happening every 27 years. I don't know if they mention it in the book, but I think it's a line in the movie that I think Richie says, I don't want to come back when I'm 70 and do this again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like they know more so now than ever. Yeah, that that it can't no no more kids need to die. It's it's now or never again. Another one of your points that you brought up, Nate, was the character of Stan was one of the last to as a child, one of the last to truly believe in 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 the power and the fear and the danger and he was the first as an adult to be like nope not doing this well like i said before i feel like every everybody had a kind of like a role and stan always struck me as just like the real the realist of the group mm-hmm. and i mean kind of explains why he didn't go back because i can't fault him i think stan I think Stan's like capacity for fear is greater than his capacity for faith. And that's why he has a hard time coming up with like his way to fight and he's just like we're going to die. This thing's going to kill us. We should just go. We should not try because he's just he's overcome by his fear, but he still has the strength of his friends. His friends are the ones that keep him alive for as long as he lives in that book, I think. I think because, I mean, I'm pretty sure that at some point they yelled at him, Stan, use the book, because he doesn't even realize, like, that's his power. He doesn't even know. He's too caught up in the fear of the moment. He was he was absolutely the weakest link. Mm, goodbye. And, <laughs> well, no, uh, one thing with, with Stan's suicide in the book is, and I, I hate to say this, but I feel like in that situation – if 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 a regular person went through what they went through as a child, if all of this is absolutely real, I think that more people would react like Stan. 
And as a grown-up, as an adult, everything you know is now being challenged because those monsters that are now in your subconscious because you don't remember. Like, that really didn't happen. I really didn't fight a giant clown spider. I didn't. I, I'm, I could die. Like, all of that, I think his reaction would be the rea- more of the reaction of just, you know what, I'm, I'm out. Understandable. I mean, not everybody can fight an interdimensional being <laughs> once, let alone twice in their lifetime. I there mean, I mean, I don't know how many people have that on their bucket list, but. And you know what else, too? I, I, I have to think you're right, Jackie, because it, I think there's no coincidence that none of them have children because it, it would so dramatically change how they would react. Yeah. And um, being a parent, yes, I, I love my, my childhood friends, and yes, I feel an affinity for my childhood home, but if, if I got that call today with two kids at home, I'm going the opposite way. Like, I'm taking those kids, and as selfish as it is, and as terrible, and as haunted as I'd be forever, it's there's no way you're going to risk more than yourself in that moment. And so it's 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 interesting because I mean I don't know if that's true I I may feel like I had to go back but you know I yeah you're right I think there's I I don't fault him for his decision in a way you know I can understand it I think had he not killed himself his fear would have hindered the ultimate defeat I think his his fear he he might have been as afraid of he as he was but didn't have the conviction to kill himself and just went along with it and went back to Derry. I think ultimately his fear would have been their downfall. He had to kill himself. I think that was all part of the master plan. He had to do it because at one point it also gave the remaining people the motivation. We're going to do it for Stan. We're going to do it for Stan. Stan's here with us in spirit. We're going to do it for Stan. So I think that's the kind of, it's not the total motivation, but I think there was that element as adults going back he it took the lives of many children and then it took the life of an adult it took the life of stan so i think that was just more motivation for them his death was necessary i think that was just a very realistic point of view of uh, for what stan did his his fear probably would have broken their resolve yeah they definitely have like a group dynamic where they all feed off of each other and if if one is weaker than the rest of them, it, it, it hinders them. Yeah. Because it starts to seep into them, too. Eddie Spaghetti? Eddie Spaghetti. Ed's. With Ed getting his arm ripped off. I think that that's just a bit of symmetry from his arm being broken. Because I was very adamant before that like it had meaning and stuff, but reading it again in the book, like he sprays the spider in the face with his inhaler, and then he's just kind of like pushing at it and fighting it, and then he realizes his arm is in its mouth. I think it was just kind of like an omen, like you know, this, you're gonna lose this arm. Well, didn't he shove the inhaler down its throat? Well, no, it was in his hand. He okay. was he he shot it in the face with the inhaler, and then he was just kind of like pushing and like yelling at everyone else, like like to help him. Or I can't, I can't remember. I'd have to look at. I it I think again. he was trying to because uh, Bill and Richie were already in the deadlights or about to be in the deadlights at that point. So wasn't he trying to be like, wake up, Bill, come back, Eddie, or, uh, you I know, think, Richie, come back. I think that this was um, after they come back and they came flying. They, like, they lost control at the end because Bill went in. Bill lost control. He succumbed to his fear for a bit. Richie had to go in, get Bill, convince Bill to come back out, pull Bill back out with him. But as – Richie started seeing his body and he's like flying towards his body. He's like, Oh shit, what were we doing? And they kind of lose. It's just like, it's a lot to do. It's it. They've never, Richie's never even done that before. He doesn't even understand the concept of what he just did. He just believed he could do it because he knew he needed to do it. And Bill could do it. So yeah, Ed is an unfortunate, but Ed is the one that has the most fear over the course of the book. It's ingrained into him from youth. His mother is constantly feeding this fear that he's going to be hurt, that he's going to get sick. That's why his his version of it is is a man with all sorts of diseases and stuff, and is trying to be like touching him and like give him the diseases. I really I I had quite a lapse in reading. I think the last book I tried to read was um, Feast for Crows, which is like such a bummer <laughs> after it's, the it's previous a book pages of nothing happening. there's nothing happening so i was really down on reading and 
reading this book, even though I feel like it's, I feel like Stephen King threw like everything into this book and he was just constantly over the course of four years seeing all these different things and like, oh, I could add that concept in and that concept in because he's, he's exploring big concepts in this book. I think that it's, it's really fun to read and really fun to think about how that stuff was in your childhood and what your transition into adulthood was like. And I think it's fun to think about. And it also made me want to read a lot more Stephen King books. So I thumb up two of them. I love the book. Um, and I've read Stephen King before, but I read a lot of his later stuff that wasn't very good. And I couldn't get into the gunslinger no matter how many times I tried to read it. So it was, it was refreshing to read Stephen King and have it be a nice, solid horror story. Um, and it definitely made me kind of stop and think, like, what what was I scared of as a kid? And clowns. Um, so, yeah, my final verdict, book good, clowns bad. The first time I read, I tried to read it. I was, like, 11 or 12. And I got to the part in the beginning where Pennywise took a bite out of somebody's armpit. <laughs> and I put the book down, and I told my mother... We're returning this to the library. I can't read it. And she was like, no problem. Grab the book. We'll go take it back. I said, no, I can't touch it. I can't touch the book. I was so afraid I couldn't touch the book. I read the book again probably four or five years ago for the first time. And I was really, really happy. It was a very, like, satisfying book to me. Like, it had that that, – it just worked out really nicely, beginning, middle, and end. There wasn't too many complaints. I, I just, I really enjoyed the book. When I read it again for our podcast, it had been enough years that I forgot a lot of stuff that happened. So it was, it, like, it wasn't like, oh, right, right, that thing's going to happen. And I expected it. It was, it was enough time had passed that I really didn't remember too much. So it was just a nice read again. Um, I will also state for the record, I like the miniseries. It's harder to watch the miniseries right after you read the book because it's just so different. But that being said, I, I, I still will go back and watch the miniseries every now and then. It's, 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 it's a DVD that I own. It's, it's, I, I will watch it. But it definitely is harder to watch it fresh off the book. The new adaptation that's coming out in theaters very soon with Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise... I'm so excited. And I think I speak for absolutely all of us here. I mean, we've, we've already bought our tickets. We're ready to go. I know that we are excited. We hope that you guys are excited. And it'll definitely be, after we see it, another discussion that will be coming up soon. I'm kind of bummed that you asked for final thoughts because I'm having such a hard time. With, I'm almost in like an existential Stephen King crisis right now because, uh, as you guys probably I've said before, it, I grew up on a, a really heavy diet of Stephen King and Koontz and all those guys from the 80s uh, who like really kind of gave me my at least literary undertow to my horror love. And I always have been such a Stephen King fangirl, just no questions asked, loved him, loved everything he did. I love him as a person. I follow him on social media. I think he's such a cool, liberal, awesome dude. That being said, rereading this as an adult, I I feel like it rocked my world, not necessarily a bad way, but in a way where I started to question my, I started to look at Stephen King with the lens of a 35-year-old academically entrenched English lit teacher, and I don't like it, and I almost (laughs) wish that I could have got, and like when I, when I cover stuff for jersey ghouls i cover it the same way i'd cover a book for my my courses that i teach or like a you know uh like a a film for our our movie you know like our podcast where i i take a very critical very literary look at it and i'm almost ruining the day that i did because it made me find more problems here than i wanted to and while i still love stephen king i will still proudly wear my stephen king rules t-shirt i've been reading the stuff from his canon that i've always avoided because I knew it it wouldn't sit well with me and now I'm facing it head on and so I'm in this just weird spiral so yay for the movie 
yay for the miniseries because I, I just have a soft spot for it. <laughs> I know, Nate. I'm sorry. We'll never torture you again. And yay for this, you know, like yay for the book and, and Stephen King. But I, I just I, I'm going to land somewhere with this and I promise I'll keep you guys posted. But if anyone else out there is having this sort of realization or have had this happen to them where suddenly their heroes are just falling a little. It's it's a sad it's a sad thing for me. And it's funny because you and I kind of had like an opposite, whereas it renewed your love for for your literature. It, it left me in crisis with mine. I feel like um, I feel like he 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 became a very different person over the years. And I feel like when he was first like blowing up, I feel like it happened to him all at once that he wrote Carrie, and Carrie was like a huge hit. And it had that movie that came out not that long after the book came out, and that just propelled him in this stat- like superstar status, and all this pressure was on him to keep delivering, delivering. But he was—I don't think he was a complete person at that point. I don't know. I don't know Stephen King, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that we're reading right now is his older stuff, and that I feel like—I don't know. I don't know. I need more perspective on Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, me too. I just it's making me want to revisit everything and kind of figure mm-hmm. out what I really think now as an adult. It's it's almost so perfectly thematic with it where you're like, well, I could look at it with childhood me or I could look at it with adult me and they're both terrible and great in their own magical stupid ways. <laughs> so it's perfect really thematically. So that's my final thought. Uh I'll let you know. I'm reading Gerald's game right now and it's like creepy McCreepers. So <laughs> makes me also feel very vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so basic? I am. I am so basic as I drink my vanilla chai. (laughs) (laughs) James, first of all, thank you for enduring this grueling and downright fucking shitty adventure into it with us. No, this is is fun. I mean, like like I said, I don't like clowns, but this was a very solid, enjoyable horror story. If there's going to be clowns there, um, I will be punching them at the movie. See, now now I I hope that I'm... I hope that I sit next to you so at random parts of the movie when it's kind of quiet I'm just going to like lean over to you and just be like <laughs> See every every weekend I go to play Dungeons and Dragons right near James house so I'm going to start leaving clown paraphernalia like on his vehicle just every time I go all over Just like tiny little clown figurines he's going to find like on the dash or on like the the end of the window I'm going to take satisfaction in just smashing them. <laughs> Fuck you, clowns. So, for um so tune in cuz we are going to be as we said covering it the new movie and there's going to be spoilers. So, too bad. If you haven't if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know the storyline, I feel like I'm I'm worried because I I'm pretty sure that the new it like the story is going to be different. You think Noticeably so? different. Yes, I do think so. That worries me for you and your your mental health. <laughs> no, as as long as long as it's in the spirit of the book, I will be happy. It doesn't need to be perfect one to one translation because I mean they're already shifting it into the future, into the eighties. You know, so like I'm not expecting it to be like, oh, well, this will be the mummy part and this will be the Frankenstein part. You know, like I'm not expecting that at all. But as long as it's well done and there's good tension, like I am on board 100% because the themes, the themes of it are what's important, not necessarily Agreed. all the content. Because like I said, it's it's he, he threw everything. He threw the kitchen sink at this book. That's he threw as, as many different situations and ideas. It's like this is the book that he wanted to make where he wanted to take all the stuff that he thinks is scary and put it all into one book. Jack, Jackie, you came up with this idea, so you got. I can't. You I can't take all the credit. I, I the the credit goes to Chad. Nice. Uh, we were sitting on the couch one night, uh, flipping through Amazon, trying to figure out a movie to watch, and he he kind of cracked a joke about how you know you can go genre by genre. So he always, I love him so much. We'll go to the horror genre, and we'll kind of flip through, and we noticed that there are over a thousand horror movies available, and. He came up with the idea of what if you just picked a random one, like into a number generator between one and, you know, 1300 and whatever number it comes up with, that's the movie you have to watch. So kind of like the Amazon roulette of horror movies. Yeah. We're going to do that. We are going to find, you know, we're going to random. Let's take like the fifth, like 
the 20, like the 15 best and 15 worst rated and put them in a generator and do all 31 yeah. days of, of October. I know I'm going to get something like Ginger Dead Man you or something. Yeah. Oh, there are some, there are some, There's some doozies. Gems on Amazon. Uh, I'm really worried. I'm so excited. I'm really worried. So instead of doing 31 days of like the best horror ever, we're going to do 31 days of our Amazon roulette. Yeah. And Amazon, come. We'd love to have you sponsor us. So yeah, feel Amazon. free. Give us free Prime. stuff. He's good. Reaching out to a small local company. Yeah, I know. You never yeah. know. Keep they definitely need this small Lo- bit of advertising. Local, local business done good. Uh, <laughs> we want to help. We figure we promote you. You promote us. Come on, Amazon. Make it um, happen. So that so you have that to look forward to in October. So yeah, we decided to kind of think outside the box for October for our podcast because I know everyone is going to be doing this awesome scary movie or this awesome scary movie and. I know that last year we cliched the fuck out of it and we talked about Halloween on Halloween. But uh, this year we decided to do something a little different. Horror comedies or comedy horror movie, which is which. We're going to be discussing a few movies that scare us, that make us laugh. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, the whole we're going to run the gamut of, of emotions. And the question will be, can you have a movie both make you laugh and scare the pants off of you? But um, I'd also like to give a little shout out to the uh, to Matt and the squad over at Horror Movie Night. They've taken us under their wing, which is so, so kind of them to do because they are so cool and so much bigger and so much more um, knowledgeable than we are. And they've taken us under our wing. They're giving us a lot of good support and love. So Horror Movie Night, you guys rock. So don't forget to check us out on social media. Just search Jersey Ghouls. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. And we are on YouTube. You can find our podcast and our blog, Hilarious Wit and Beautiful Selves, on JerseyGhouls.com. Also, if you feel so inclined, we do have a GoFundMe page. This, uh, The donations that we have gotten so far, thank you, thank you, a thousand times thank you for your generosity. The funds so far have been put toward equipment. There are horror cons that we would like to attend as vendors, and your continued support will help us get there. Uh, this is a hobby for us. This is not any sort of full-time job, so your generosity and your donations help us out so, so much. Thank you for your generosity. If you have donated, you guys are the absolute best in the world. Best. We love you so, so much. I will kiss you so in thank the you face. For that. Yes, I won't kiss you in the face. I will definitely high-five you possibly hug we'll see i'll acknowledge your existence <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> i'd be eternally thankful I obviously will, i will wink at you from across the room and that's give right. you one of those a kind of thumbs up i will fonzie you <laughs> that sounds dirty Can you fonzie me later? i will fonzie you later <laughs> all right so guys thanks for tuning in and have a god damn it now we still are at the <laughs> we, thing don't where we don't have know what to, to say. say goodbye everybody bye <laughs> What's the opposite of what's up? What's down? What? I don't know how to. Because <laughs> you say hey everybody. Yeah, so, so I'm just bye everybody. Goodbye everybody. Bye bye bye. <laughs> Peace out, homie. We have nothing. The end. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.